0: Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo.
1: Hello, thanks for listening. My guest is Dr. Ann Partridge, Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School, who holds the Eric P. Weiner, MD, Chair in Breast Cancer Research at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute where she also serves as Vice Chair of Medical Oncology. She is also the founder and director of the Program for Young Adults with Breast Cancer and director of the Adult Survivorship Program. At the European Society for Medical Oncology 2023 Congress, Dr. Partridge chaired a session titled, Pregnancy After Breast Cancer, Is It Safe? She joins us to discuss this session and the factors young women need to take into account if they're considering becoming pregnant after a breast cancer diagnosis. Dr. Partridge, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jamie. So the session at ESMO was labeled a controversy session. So I have to ask you, how controversial is having a child after breast cancer? Because I know in the session you discussed some of the research that showed that it was pretty safe. So how, you know, is that to draw people in or is it truly controversial?
2: So it really is controversial uh, and it's controversial because um, I think with good intentions, there has been a concern for many, many years, uh, probably ever since there's been breast cancer occurring in women who could still get pregnant, that having a child after breast cancer could throw gasoline on the embers for women who are at risk for recurrent breast cancer, particularly hormone-sensitive breast cancer. Uh, And and that's not without concern. Most of our treatments for breast cancer are about reducing estrogen when we're treating ER ER-positive breast cancer. And a pregnancy, of course, builds up lots of hormones, estrogen, other hormones related to pregnancy. And so it's a reasonable thing to worry that having a baby after breast cancer might have a negative impact on a woman's prognosis, on her risk of recurrence if she's treated for early-stage hormone-sensitive breast cancer. So it's, it's actually highly controversial. And the good news is we have a ton of data retrospectively that has suggested safety, but people still feel uncomfortable because they worry that the data are biased. And there's lots of reasons for that. And that's the reason we did the positive trial to do a prospective study to try and remove some of the biases. And that's why it's controversial because these are new data and we're trying to incorporate these new data. And of course, all data are
1: imperfect and have limitations. And that's really what it was about. Okay. Okay. Now, I know uh, several times in this session, the research of Dr. Matteo Lampertini was mentioned, and I've done podcasts with him, talked to him. He's done a lot of research on pregnancy after breast cancer. And I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that while women who are of childbearing age who've been diagnosed with breast cancer, they're less likely to get pregnant than the average woman, most of them do have healthy babies. And The pregnancy had no real effect on long-term outcomes. And so is it, again, because that's retrospective looking back data rather than prospective data where people are randomized to, which I don't know if you could ever do a study like that saying, you know, this group, you have a child, no, this group, you don't have a child. Was that part of the reason that, you know, those studies are, that there's still controversy even after those studies as well? That's
2: that's correct. So I've worked very closely with Mateo over the years. He's fantastic and he's done a ton to further the research here and also wave the flag to highlight this important issue because I think young patients represent only a minority of our patients, but this is such an important issue. Uh, And yes, indeed, uh, Mateo's work has pulled together a bunch of other studies, essentially. He's done uh, what's called meta-analyses, which pull together data from other studies And he created a cohort, particularly of mutation carriers, people with a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation. And he looked at the safety of pregnancy in those patients. Full disclosure, I'm part of his research team when it comes to that. We actually contribute our data from our young women's cohort at Dana-Farber. But that being said, all of the data that he's amassed and the meta-analyses that he's conducted suffer from the same thing as each of the individual trials, which historically have been retrospective or registries that were not collected necessarily to look at this question. And so that's what's so unique about positive is it's prospectively collected data to look at this question. If you went on positive, you had to have ER positive breast cancer. You had to be willing to take a break from the endocrine therapy at a particular time frame, and you had to want to get pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. And you had to have no evidence of recurrence at that time. And in all of our retrospective data, it's hard to tease that out. But in this study, you know, which we enrolled five hundred some patients worldwide, that was a requirement for getting on the study. So it's a pure, not randomized. So there's still some limitations because you can't randomize. Baby or no baby for women who what woman would go on that study, right. And so we we couldn't randomize, but at least we could kind of distill down and make more homogeneous the patient population. So we at least knew their intent. and then we're following them very
1: closely and also what's happening to them to them prospectively and you presented the results from the positive trial at San Antonio last year and and they were, to quote the study positive. I mean, it looked like, I mean, there were some people that had a recurrence, but overall, it looked like women who had a baby, it didn't really affect the recurrence and the babies were healthy. Am am I remembering all that right? You got it right. And so what we showed was that, unfortunately, pregnancy isn't a treatment for
2: breast cancer. And there were women who recurred on the positive trial. But the recurrences were not more than we would expect from a group of women with similar characteristics in terms of their risk of recurrence, node positivity, grade, size of tumors, what they were treated with. And so it it was very clear from our data that it wasn't throwing gasoline on some, you know, simmering tinderbox and that there wasn't an explosion of recurrence in this prospective trial. So it validated what we'd seen in the retrospective work, in the Mm -hmm. look back work, which had more limitations. And so that's really, really good news. And I think the controversies, therefore, that we needed to discuss were, okay, we've now shown that in this group of patients, there's no clear sign of harm, but can we translate these data to women with, say, stage three disease? Because the bulk of the patients had stage one or two disease. And are the data good enough? Because we reported on 41-month follow-up. Right. That's a little over three years. Is that good enough to say, oh, it's perfectly safe when you're talking about estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, where the risks of recurrence go out now, unfortunately, you know, 10, 20 years. So so that's what the controversy is now. It's not that these data aren't good. They're not they're very robust. I think everybody agrees the pros and the cons all agree that they look pretty good, right? And mm-hmm. that we, you know, it was a well-conducted trial. Now it's how do we take those data and interpret them for our patients in the clinic off trial? And how comfortable are people saying, fly, be free, have your babies when you want to, whoever you are coming in with ER positive, early stage breast cancer? That's where the debate lies. And some of that's about kind of comfort with, you know, new data. Mm -hmm. And some of that's about, in my mind, talking with the patients, removing our own paternalism and saying to a patient, you know, how comfortable are you with three-year follow-up data, recognizing that we're going to follow these people out, and we could find out that there is some, you know, difference five years from now, and and we'll follow them, recognizing that the retrospective data don't suggest that.
1: Right. Is there any thought going forward with sort of, I don't know if expanding is the right word, but in like adding women who have been diagnosed with stage three disease to something like the positive trial or doing another trial that would include them? Well, we did include them. So they oh, you were didn't? included, it's just that they weren't well represented. So we okay. allowed
2: anyone with you know, early stage breast cancer and there were 6% of women or 36 women who had stage three disease. And you know when we looked at who recurred on positive, the higher the risk disease, the more likely a person was to recur. But the vast majority of women, whatever stage they were, did not recur. And and then the other important thing is that when we talk about recurrences, all recurrences aren't created equal, right? So a recurrence distant from the breast chest wall on your arm is obviously the most life-threatening and the one that at least in 2023 we can't cure. And about half of the recurrences or the breast cancer events in positive were distant. Um, And so that was translated to about four and a half percent of the whole population. So the vast majority of people didn't have one of those events, right? 95 plus percent didn't, but among those who did the four and a half percent, those are the ones where we say, ooh, did the pregnancy change that? And the answer is probably not when you compare them to the well-calculated control group that we compared them to from recent trials, the soft and the text trials. Uh, So I think we can feel really good, at least, about the early follow-up. And then when you translate for your patients in clinic, I usually say, you know, it's early data Our retrospective data say it's safe. These early data could also say it's safe enough. But in a person who has, you know, 20 lymph nodes positive, I'm worried about them. And even if the pregnancy doesn't change their risk... That person's living with a fair bit of risk, so that's a kind of very much a conversation with the oncologists and their family and their comfort level with getting pregnant when a pre- recurrence could happen during a pregnancy, during a washout, or during early motherhood if they're lucky enough to get pregnant and and have a baby.
1: Okay, thank you. And I know too, since you know the positive study was done, obviously uh, the people in that study had hormone receptor positive disease, but we have all these. Different treatments now. We have CDK four six inhibitors. You know, we have anti HER two medicines. Do those types of treatments affect the safety of pregnancy? Or our study is going to look at that? Because if I'm remembering right, I don't think those were included in a lot of these studies. So that's a really great point. So I'm positive
2: you could have gotten anything oh, in really? the entire okay. treatment. You just had to have gotten at least 18 months of endocrine therapy. Okay. So some people on positive probably got CDK4-6 inhibitors on the monarchy trial, right? Okay. They could have gotten them. That being said, probably small amount, right? Because it's not a standard and those studies were limited. And and so I think you make a really good point. And I think, if anything, the ones that make it to prime time as in become approved, those patients are going to be doing better and better, Right they're going to have lower and lower risk of recurrence, thank goodness, for these novel therapies that are changing the, you know, prognosis for women with higher risk early breast cancer, hormone receptor positive. On the flip side, and this is true also for the hormone receptor negative, you know, patients with that kind of disease, the big issue we worry about is the feasibility of pregnancy and the washout period. So, for example, if you take two years of emicyclic, which is our current new standard for high-risk hormone-sensitive breast cancer patients, they take it for two years, when's it totally out of their system, when's the damage done out of their system, and then importantly, how much might that impact their ovarian function and their ability to get pregnant? We don't have any good data on that. Same thing with the PARP inhibitors, which we take for a year, patients take for a year if they have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation at enough risk. And then finally, same thing with like checkpoint inhibitors, that's like pembrolizumab, or some of the other ones that are being tested right now in clinical trials, but pembrolizumab's been approved in this setting for triple negative breast cancer preoperatively and postoperatively. And so that's where we say we have no good data about how that impacts on future fertility, as well as how it might impact on the pregnancy itself, safety, the progeny, the child. Mm -hmm. Um, We hope once it gets out of the system, that it, the ovaries are good enough, but we don't know and we don't know whether those women should be you know more likely to be infertile. We know chemo can hit, hurt the eggs. We know that endocrine therapy hurts with time, just the time and that it takes. We don't think it, it directly hurts the eggs or right? it's not going to add a toxic for women, but we don't know what PARP inhibitors do. We don't know what checkpoint inhibitors do and we don't know what the CDK46 inhibitors do, like a So we need to do more research around that. Really important.
1: Okay, thank you. And then I guess finally, so as you said, this is a very personal, emotional conversation between a young woman and our oncologist, and you know perhaps the spouse. If someone, if you're, if it's one of your patients, a uh, young woman been diagnosed in does want to have a child after breast cancer what are some of the top things that you sit down and talk to her about like what does she need to consider i'm i'm assuming that her own personal risk of recurrence is is up there but what are what are some of the other things you would talk about yeah so first i start with their personal
2: risk you know what is their risk of their recurrence as best we can tell and that has to do with their stage of tumor the extent of disease stage as well as the personality or phenotype of the tumor, you know, we, the receptor status, the grade, any other features. Was it Was an inflammatory breast cancer? And then it's what treatment did you get for risk reduction? And how did your cancer respond if you got neoadjuvant therapy? We know that people who have a, you know, PCR, which is cancer went away completely with neoadjuvant therapy. Those people have a much better prognosis than if it didn't. And so you take all that stuff into account to try and help a person understand, well, okay, what's her risk trajectory over the next five to 10 years? And then how do you feel about having a baby in terms of timing for that person, both in terms of their life? You know, because some people are 25, they're finishing school, they're unpartnered, or is this a 35-year-old who was in the obstetrics office trying to get pregnant or the, the IVF doctor's office trying to get pregnant? So very different parts of their lives they may be in so there's the social aspect for the woman and the biologic aspect for the woman of the the if her you know reproductive clock is ticking um that's obviously an age thing and so i take their personal preference as well as their disease risks as well uh, into account to try and help them come up with the best plan for them one of the things i tell my oncology colleagues that i personally have to do is to say you know all risks are not created equal and people have very different perceptions of risk and what's important to them. So, and and then also what's a value for them. So I've had patients come into to me and say, oh yeah, the oncologist said to me, you already have one kid, you should be happy. And I always joke, okay, oh, I'm a sex child, I resent that. <laughs> right, that's um, so And to tell a woman, like right. you should be happy with one, is really not okay, right? Like. That woman may get there, but for a person to tell someone that, yeah, and and that, you know, I think it's okay to say, I don't think you should have a baby because I'm really worried about your cancer. Right. And this is why I think that's okay. But to, to, you know, that one is good enough is in the eye of the beholder and and that we as oncologists shouldn't be making that decision or that judgment for a patient. Uh, And so- be careful! I've seen many second opinions, and I tell my colleagues this: just don't say anything like that, please,
1: right. because people get pissed, and they should, right? Wouldn't you? And so, oh, yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, you talked about paternalism at the beginning. That to me seems like the very definition of it. So it's well, it's well intended, but it just comes out poorly. Yeah. And and I think it's it's you
2: know all of this is again well intended, but we really I try to do a pretty explicit values kind of elicitation with a woman and say, well, how important is pregnancy to you? How important, I had someone like this yesterday where I, I said to her, it was tricky because her mother was there too. And and I could sense this vibe from the beginning, the patient said, I don't care about fertility, but she's very young and her mother cared. And you see this in kind of young adults, the the kids, the young adults, they don't care sometimes, especially teenagers, right? They're trying not to get pregnant. <laughs> Right, but their parents are like, yeah, you might change your mind, <laughs> and so you know, walking that line as a doctor is a whole different thing. But it's but the point is that you want to figure out what's right for the patient, both in terms of the treatment of their disease, share that with them, and then understand with them where their values like. Cause some people care a lot and won't will we'll give up therapies. They'll give up risk reduction because having a baby after or during or skipping something is more important than risk reduction for them. And on the flip side, some women will look at you and go, I don't want to do any of that. I don't really care. Uh, and you just want to make sure that they're aware that they can in, you know, and share things like positive. So some patients are so scared and they have a low risk ER positive breast cancer. And I say, you don't have to be that scared. You know, Let's talk about this because I don't want you to close that door because of fears that are not informed by data. Right. Right, you know, right. Close that door because you don't want babies. I'm not going to tell you not to, to have a baby, but don't do it because you're afraid of the breast cancer based on what, well, you know, in a low risk situation.
1: Right. Well, and I know and kind of on the flip side, you, you talked about this with the positive trial results that there were some women who were not going to take anti-estrogen therapy because they wanted to have a baby. So they were just going to forego that completely. So, you know, obviously that information that you provided was very helpful but you know i i kind of want to ask you one more question about the whole you know talking to a a younger woman and you talk about closing a door or keeping the door open and i know obviously you can't do this you're not a mind reader but that's got to be very difficult because if it is somebody who's very young like say between 22 and 25 they their values could change by the time they turn 30 and you know do you have to talk to them about that? Like, you know, you're going to, you're making this decision now, but remember, you may change your mind in 10 years. Is that something that you have to, I mean, it sounds like you have to be a psychologist and a non-college. Uh, you're hundred percent right. I, and I have three young adult daughters, which I've
2: learned a lot from. And I also have learned a lot from my patients over the years before they became young adult daughters. Um, So I'm, I think I'm pretty careful and thoughtful and I would implore all of my colleagues to be this way. I mean, I think I do try and tease out where they are today and and try and make sure that they know their options and that people do change their mind about these things over time. And most young women, even in their early 20s or younger, they they get it. You know, they, they might be mad at their mother and the mother's pushing an agenda or something for their parents. I don't mean to, to <laughs> single out the moms, but most of them are, you know, or they just say, no, I don't care. And then I say, OK, the good news is that our modern day breast cancer therapies, at least the ones we know about, seem to be the least toxic on the youngest ovaries. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of get a pass anyway from the majority, not everything, and um, you know, not with all diseases, but when we're talking about our common breast cancer regimens, the younger you are, the less likely it is to make you infertile. And so that's a, that's a good thing. They can kind of grow out of it if they're really not in a place to think about this stuff yet.
1: Okay. Dr. Partridge, thank you so much. This has been really helpful. I know it's gonna help a lot of people and uh, really appreciate your insights here.
0: Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.